We're going to open up and go to uh, the book of 2 Timothy. Um, and uh, I, I didn't tell you guys this before we prayed, but uh, I talked to Pastor Dean today and he, um, <clears throat> he said that everything was going very well. And um, the, he sent us a picture and he'll probably tell you this, so act surprised. But he sent us a picture of the, of the church's building, the auditorium. And, um, and it is a gym. It's just like that. It's a gym. And it's set up very, it's a, the flooring isn't wood. It's, a, it's like a rubber uh, material. Um, and, uh, and so he said it was real quiet. When people walked on it, it was very quiet. But it's set up and the basketball goals are pulled up and they have the auditorium or the uh, platform set up. It looks like a church that's inside of a gym. And uh, it's their, it was their first building that they built. Um, rather than doing the auditorium first, they did the multi-purpose building first. And so he said it's a beautiful church uh, building that they have. And uh, anyhow, so when he tells y'all, y'all be like, man, that's very cool. Are the floors rubberized? Just, just mess with his mind a little. Uh, but uh, he, he said it's been a great meeting. And, um, and I, th I think it was this week that he posted that there's that a, a person had gotten saved. In one of the services. I can't remember if it was this week or two weeks ago, but they're traveling back in the morning tomorrow. So uh, pray for them as they travel. So we're going to go to the book of Second Timothy. Uh, everybody should have a paper and we're not going to really reference the papers till at the very end. But um, this uh, this is going to be a little bit more. I, I don't know really how to describe it. Normally, it would be more like a sermon is brought and, and there will be an aspect of, of, of instruction or teaching from Scripture tonight, but this is going to be more practical and, and uh, uh, instructive. And at the end, uh, hopefully, it wraps up and this works. Uh, it's kind of an experiment. So guinea pigs away. Y'all uh, happy to join us in an experiment. Um, and uh, I think we'll make the, question, or the, the questions that were referenced at the end available online after the fact. Um, but I want to approach this from the standpoint of, of studying a passage of scripture. And um, uh, I, I, I don't really want to talk about the fact that we should study the scriptures. Anybody in here disagree with the fact that we ought to be studying the Bible? Pretty much everybody in here is already there preaching to the choir, which is one of the easiest ways to preach, by the way, is just to get in an echo chamber and start talking. Uh, and I'm not going to say anything that's really contrary to what you already probably believe about studying the Bible. Um, we're not going to we're not going to stay long on the question of uh, why we should study the Bible. We're not going to stay long on the subject of what we get when we study the Bible, but we are going to cover those two. So you're not getting out that early. Um, but I really want to focus at the end on how. Um, how do we study the Bible? What, what are practical ways that, that I, as a Christian, can study the Word of God for myself? Um, because the Bible is very clear that we're to study to show ourselves approved before God. Not, not come to church, sit, and allow somebody to study for us, but we are to actually study ourselves. And most people don't have a problem with whether or not they should or why they should. It's the how that gets them. A lot of times we get hung up on that question of how in the world it, it if you think about it, it could be an intimidating task. We're talking about with scripture, we're talking about probably no, not probably, definitely the most 
important work that's ever been written, the Bible. There's, there's nothing more important that's ever been written in history. We're, we're talking about uh, uh, everything that we know to be true about God is written here. You want to learn about who God is and know his character? Those are big topics. You can learn it from scripture. So you're talking about something that you can like, I want to be careful. I don't want to mess it up. So out of, out of fear of messing something up as though you could break it, we don't study it. We're, we're cautious or we're afraid. I want to take the fears and the question marks away from how to, how to study scripture, hopefully tonight. Um, so let's read, uh, let's read our passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> So we start off with uh, verse 16. It says, all, all scripture <clears throat> is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, as we, we, this, this passage of scripture uh, is, is written by the Apostle Paul. Um, he, he wrote this. This is the last thing that Paul uh, wrote. He didn't write any more work after this. This is his last letter. The uh, most agreed upon date for the writing of this is around 67 AD, which is also when we have Paul dying. So this happened and then Paul died. So we have this work here being written. And, and, and as far as we know, the, the high probability is that it was written from the Mamertine prison, which is... Uh, if you ever study the Mamertine prison, look it up online and, and, and do some research on it. Mamertine prison is, is, it was 700 years old when Paul was in it. It, it, it is a prison that's been around for a long time. Um, and Paul was in it and it was intentionally uh, damp and uncomfortable and cold and dark and it stunk. That's what many historians talk about it. Like we're talking from Paul's age. Many historians talked about how bad it's just stunk. Um, it was intended to be a place where they held you before they killed you. Um, imprisonment in this way wasn't really a form of punishment, kind of like it is in the American system where we have, where you, you get put into prison for a certain amount of time and you get let go. It wasn't really the way that the Roman system worked. They didn't sentence you to prison time. You went to prison, like Paul, when he was on what, what we would call a house arrest in the book of Acts, that house arrest was, uh, it, it's, just how we have to use it to Americanize it to help us to understand uh, he wasn't being punished. He was just waiting. He was incarcerated waiting to have his case heard as a Roman citizen before Caesar. Uh, so when he was quote unquote on house arrest, he wasn't being punished there. He was free in this house that was rented, a hired house. And he had a soldier that lived with him as his ankle bracelet. Uh, and so if you got that reference, I'm disappointed. Uh, no, he, 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 he wasn't being punished there. And, and here, the Mamertine prison wasn't his punishment. His punishment was ultimately going to be losing his head. As a Roman citizen, he couldn't be crucified. He couldn't be stoned to death. He was to be beheaded, as they did to Roman citizens back in that day, which was probably the most humane way to be killed uh, in, in that day. Probably the most humane way to die would be beheading. Um, and so they gave that more honorable death to Roman citizens. <clears throat> Paul is writing here, and he's writing to Timothy. And, and how do we know it's Timothy? 
they named the book after him. Uh, so writing to Timothy, um, his last name was of Lydia, not really, uh, Timothy, writing to Timothy, who Paul called his son in the ministry. So Paul considers Timothy his son of the ministry. He also considered, considered Titus as a son of the ministry. Two young men that Paul took personally and trained in the ministry. When he writes this to Timothy, uh, as far as we know from history, at this point in time, Timothy is the pastor in the church in Ephesus. Uh, the book of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. It's in Asia Minor. Uh, if you look at a map of Turkey, it's down and to the left. Uh, not quite to the coast of the Aegean Sea. And, and he's, Timothy pastored there. Timothy actually died while pastoring in Ephesus because Timothy stood up against the pagan practices that were happening in the day. There was a, a parade going. He stood out as an old man and protested and said, you ought not to be doing this. And they killed him. Uh, he got overtaken by a mob and killed, an angry mob killed him. But at this point, when Timothy receives this book, and that happened when he was an old man, he is an old here. Um, He's getting this instruction from Paul. And I, I couldn't imagine being Timothy, being in his position. And, and, and Paul, like, like, think of somebody in your life, and just in your own personal life that has been a mentor to you, somebody who has been close to you and has helped bring you along in your walk with Christ, somebody who has helped to nurture you in your walk with the Lord. And think about that person being in prison, about to die, and they've written you a letter. And you're reading this letter. And this letter, this letter, it's filled with encouragement, which is amazing that Paul writes anything encouraging while he's in this prison, knowing he's about to die. And his death is not because he committed a crime. Paul's death is because Nero needed somebody to blame for the burning of Rome. So he killed Christians. And Paul was one of those. And Peter, we believe, is another one that Nero killed. Um, so... He, he needs somebody to, to be the scapegoat. So Paul's not even there because he did a crime. Paul's there because he's a Christian. It's the only reason he's being killed. And Timothy here is reading this letter from Paul. And, and Paul's suffering such injustice, but Paul, like we, he was in the Philippian jail, singing and, and praising God and praying to God. Um, uh, I just, can, we, can we rabbit trail for one second? We have the time. Uh, it's chapter 16 and verse 20. We're not going to go there. Chapter 16, verse 25. You look at it later. It says that the prisoners heard them when they were singing and praying. Um, and, and, and the instruction I think we get from that is the world's watching. The world is watching when you go through something. Paul's going through now the Mamertine prison. He's writing a letter to Timothy. It's full of encouragement. He's got warnings in there. Be careful. Watch out. Look out. It's, there's some sharp, sharp instruction. Like when you read through it, there's some instruction that cuts. Paul's being really pointed. I mean, he's, he's at the end um, uh, of, his, of his life. Sharp instruction to keep going. And then there's affection written in there. He loves Timothy, misses Timothy. He longed to see Timothy. Timothy was supposed to come and visit him. And he longed to see him, his beloved son in the ministry. Um, and our passage that we just read gives us the answer to the two questions, not the third. The why and the what. Why do we study scripture and what do we get when we study scripture? Like, okay, and, and this is the cool thing about God. He tells you to study the Bible, but he doesn't just say to study it and do it because I said so. You ever had a kid ask you why? And you're like, because I said so. Uh, I really don't like that answer as a parent personally. I like to give them a reason. I like to tell my kids to do something and if they have a question, now if I tell them not to go in the street and they say why, 
their answer comes non-verbally. Um, but if I, uh, if, if this is being live streamed, so y'all just catch my, no, I'm kidding. If, but if they ask me a question, why don't we fill in the blank? I try to give them an answer. I try to explain to them why we do certain things. Um, God tells us you should study scripture and this is why you should study scripture, but you're not just studying it to make me happy. I'm going to give you something from it. This is good for you. And so he gives us the what as well. So uh, the first thing that we get here when we look at these verses again, let's look at verse 16. It says all just starts off with all scripture. Now, all scripture means Second Chronicles, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It means all of them, all of the books of the Bible, even those Leviticus is probably the number one reason why most people quit reading their Bible through in the year, because they're reading from Genesis to Revelation. I never, ever tell anybody to start in Genesis and go through to Revelation. There's no reason to have to do it that way. Uh, I've loved, I've loved our Bible study that the pastor's been doing, the, the books of the Bible series. Amazing, fantastic stuff, starting in Genesis, and he's been going through each book and seeing how they all just kind of link together. It's very, uh, very nice to have that, but doesn't mean you're going to pick Leviticus up tomorrow and be like, man, this is great reading. You know, sometimes it's a little difficult to read. Um, but you know that's also part of the all scripture that's given by inspiration of God. Uh, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he defeated Satan. And three times he, made, he said the statement, made the statement, it is written. And all three times he said it is written, he quoted from Deuteronomy. Now, if your, if your spiritual life depended on your knowledge and your ability to quote the book of Deuteronomy, how, how would you fare? I wouldn't fare very well, I don't think, uh, unless I can quote what Jesus said on the Mount of Temptation uh, uh, in Matthew. Uh, all scripture, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And, and this is going to be cookies on the bottom shelf stuff. You probably have already heard this before. Awesome. We get to hear it again. Uh, my pastor in Florida used to always say repetition is the key to learning. So if you hear it again and you remember it, that means you've learned something and you already know it. That's good. Um, it's good to recover some ground. Um, I think our pastor would say, put another coat of paint on it. I think that's what he would say. Uh, he would say it a little more country than that. Uh, the word inspiration here, inspired of God, the word inspiration literally just means breathed out. It's breathed out by God. All scripture is, is breathed out from God and he gives it. Now, Second Peter 1.21 gives us kind of an idea of how it looks. Prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The inspiration of God on the writers of Scripture. What did he inspire that we see in Scripture? Every word. Every single word of Scripture is inspired by God as it is written. And the cool thing is he was able to inspire them to write every single word exactly how he wanted it written and, and still left their personalities in there. Isn't that amazing? As you read through the Bible, you find that for all 66 books, it never one time contradicts itself. And I've heard people say, the Bible contradicts itself. And I say, show me where, and they can't. They'll show you a passage and just say, well, well, here's some contradiction. No, 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 you have to read a couple of verses ahead. This is what it's talking about there. That's, you're, you're not understanding it. That's not true. The Bible does not contradict itself. And it's all about the same subject. Now ask two men, two men to write on the same subject, anything, any subject, ask two men to write on that subject, an exhaustive work on it, and they will both disagree at some point, especially when they're not collaborating. The Old Testament, not collaborated at all. 
I mean, Moses wrote the first five books, but there's no collaboration between the writers of the Old Testament. New Testament, there's really no collaboration between the writers of the New Testament, and yet they all wrote over thousands of years a book that is in perfect harmony with itself. How is that possible? Because God inspired every word that's written. And he left their personalities in there. And I do enjoy reading some people more than others. I love Paul's writing. I love reading the writing of Paul. I love the personality that he has in his writing. Um, I love reading about uh, Paul's sports abilities because it makes me feel good and bad at the same time. Um, you, want a, you want a good reason why we should study the Bible? Um, how about because it's directly from God to us? That's a good why. Why should I study this book? Well, because it's literally given from God through whatever man he chose to write through or woman. And here we are reading God's word directly to us. That's a good reason to read the Bible. Um, uh, uh, but here's, there, there's more. It says, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable. Profitable for what? Funny you should ask. I'm going to tell you. I have it in my notes. It's laid out pretty plainly in the text. So it really, I mean, an idiot could do this. So that's why I'm capable. So number one, it's profitable for doctrine. Well, what is doctrine? So, so, so we have it's, it's all scripture, including Leviticus, including Deuteronomy, is given by inspiration of God directly from God. And we now receive his word as he said it. And it's given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. What is it profitable for? First of all, it's doctrine. Well, what, what in the world is doctrine? Doctrine means it's instruction, especially as it applies to a lifestyle application of the instruction. Uh, doctrine, in other words, it's teaching that is imparted by an authoritative source. That's, that's like a, a non-Christian, non-biblical definition of the word. It's an authoritative source giving instruction. That's what doctrine is. From a church perspective or Christianity, doctrine is what we believe. You, what, well, what, what is, uh, what, I've had people ask, well, what, are your, what does your church believe? What does a Baptist believe? Uh, and and I, I just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be smart with you, but it, we believe what this says. That's it. What this word says. Well, how do you know what you believe? I read the Bible. And that's, that's how I know what we believe. It's, it's written in here. We don't have, we don't have the, the doctrine of Dean. We don't have any of that. What does the Bible say? And we get what we are to believe and what we are to stand on. And honestly, doctrine, doctrine isn't just a, a set of rules that you stand on and say, well, this is what the Bible says, or thus says the Lord, and I'll punch you in the throat with it. Doctrine is a life. It's a lifestyle. It's how we ought to live. We ought to live by the doctrines we believe from Scripture. So it's, it's, it's profitable for us because as we read it, we read the instruction from an authoritative source on how we ought to live our lives, how we ought to interact with the world around us. Um, Ultimately, the worldview by which we govern our lives is doctrine. Um, if, if our doctrine is based on our study of the word and what it says, if it's based off that and that alone, then we will know that the path we're walking on is the one God has planned for us. If we'll study doctrine and we'll follow what doctrine says, then we know the path we're on is the correct path. It's going to be the right path. You don't have to look for approval of men. You can just look at the Bible. What does the Bible say you should believe in how you should live in a worldview? Uh, and if you're doing it that way, then you're doing it right. You're going to be on the right path. There's no question. The second thing is for reproof. Reproof is not fun. Reproof literally means proof. 
or that by which a thing is proved or tested. Reproving something to, if you'll read the Bible, if we'll take, if we'll take the Bible and we'll open it up and we'll read what it has to say to us, not only will we learn what we ought to believe and how that should form our worldview and how we act and interact with the world, but it'll also tell us some places where we're wrong. The Bible is a sharp sword. It's two-edged. It cuts coming and going. So you can quote a verse to somebody, but be ready because it'll come back. The Bible is sharp and, and the Bible tells you what sin is. And sometimes when it tells you what a sin is, it's your sin and it, it hurts. It stings. It's convicting. Now, an illustration has been given before that the Bible is kind of like having a straight edge and you lay it up next to something. And as you lay the straight edge down, you see how crooked the thing is that you're laying it next to. That's reproof. Look at how crooked you are. Straight edge laid down. I cut the papers that you guys have tonight. I took them into the office uh, earlier and tried to cut my crooked line with a straight edged paper cutter. Some of you barely got the last of the word um, uh, because it, it, I had to cut off my mess. I put a straight edge next to my cut. Now, I will not say my cut looked straight to begin with. It looked crooked to start. Like when I cut, as soon as I finished cutting, I thought, I can waste more paper and reprint this or they'll be fine. And I just voted with they'll be fine because y'all, y'all, I mean, you've come to expect this of me, haven't you? Um, so, but, but the Bible is like laying a straight edge. When you lay a straight edge next to something, it becomes very evident where it's crooked, where it's off, where it's not right. And that's what reproof is. Reproof is often sharp, but reproof, reproof is telling you where you're wrong. That hurts a little bit. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, a friend, and you had to tell them where they were wrong? It's, it's kind of difficult, isn't it? Well, imagine hearing where you're wrong. Imagine reading where you're wrong. And when we, when we go to study our Bible, when we ask the Holy Spirit to show us what he wants us to learn out of his scripture, and he's like, well, I've got some reproof for you today. Um, we got to be ready to hear the reproof. It's profitable. Remember, profit is good. It's profitable for reproof. That's a good thing. And, and, and here's a question. How, because so many times you have like, well, why, why would God have rules like that in his word? How cruel would God have to be? Because he is holy and he is righteous. How cruel would he have to be? How sick would he have to be? to have a standard of righteousness and have a standard by which we ought to live and not tell us about it and hold us to that standard. He has to hold us to that standard because of his holiness. How cruel would he have to be? He knows he has to hold us to the standard and he doesn't tell us. That's sick. He, of course, he tells us in his word. He gives us instruction. Uh, he gives us, I'm sorry, reproof, a profitable reproof. The, the third thing is correction. Uh, uh, correction is to restore to an upright state or to uh, set right. So I, I've shown you what you should believe. This is how you ought to live your life because you believe this. Uh, interacting with the world around you. I've shown you where you're wrong. Okay, do we leave it at that? No, let me show you how to get right. That's what, let me show you how to get right. Here, here's where you're wrong. This is how you can get right. It's let me help you. Let me set you right. And you know the cool thing about the Bible? When you go through it and you find reproof, keep reading. Just keep reading. Correction is coming. He doesn't just say you're terrible, wicked, evil. This is why you're evil and stop. 
he continues on with correction. If you'll just keep reading, get through the reproof, allow the cutting to happen and then let him let him correct you after the reproof, because he will. That it just it goes right along hand in hand. Correction goes with reproof. He just doesn't leave us where we're wrong and tell us we're wrong and just leave us. I'm so happy that he does that. The, The Bible informs us. So you're wrong here. Here's where you're wrong. Now, let me tell you how you can get it right. First of all, you need to set a boundary. Let's put a boundary here. Here's a conviction that you ought to have that you don't have. If you'll sure this area of your life up, then you won't feel this reproof nearly as sharp next time because you're going to have something in place to keep you uh, within the right uh, standard that I have for you. It, It gives us a template by which we can pattern our lives. If we'll allow it, it'll give us a template. We can lay our lives right over top of it and live according to his word. And the fourth thing, it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. Now that sounds pretty like, okay, so it uh, instructs us in righteousness. It teaches us righteousness. Um, It's not just teaching. Instruction is, it, it has more of a feeling of a command and a demand than it does a, here's right. The Bible doesn't just say, here's what's right and let me teach you righteousness. The Bible says, this is righteousness, live according to it. That's what it, 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 this is a command. The Bible is not a list of suggestions. When we go through it and we see the 10 suggestions that God gave to us in Exodus, uh, you should not kill, you should not lie. Y'all get this as a joke, right? It, it, they're not suggestions. I wish you wouldn't covet your neighbor's wife. I wish you wouldn't, you know, I, just if you don't want to. No, it's thou shalt not. Those are called instructions in righteousness. Don't do this. He doesn't give us suggestions. He Righteousness, when we look at the instruction, it's aiming at increasing our virtue. And it's not by suggestion, it's by mandate. He wants to increase our virtue by mandate. And then the righteousness, righteousness feels like this. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Correctness in thinking, feeling, and acting. Having corrected us on the negatives with reproof he, and, and, and correction, he gives us commandments that we can follow that will bring us into those integrity and virtue and purity of life and righteousness and correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Those are the four. That, that's the, well, what do you get out of it? Let me, okay, so I, I should study the Bible because it's his word. Great. What do I get out of it? You get everything. You get how to live your life. You, I'm not sure how God, well, how would God want me to live? Well, look at his word. He tells you, he gives you reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness. He gives you doctrine by which you should believe and live your life. Um, the overall purpose of this whole thing, though, the overall purpose is found in verse 17. Because the word that is there. That. That the man of God... It's 2022. The woman of God as well. All right. Y'all, you know what? Y'all want to go to fun night and you're mad because you have to be in here with just plain preaching, as Nathan calls it. Um, You hear the kids having fun. They're not really having fun. It's a joke. Um, That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So what's the overall purpose of studying our Bible so we can get doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness? What's the overall purpose? So that we can be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, if you ask my mother, she'd already tell you I'm already perfect. 
again with the jokes that you guys, well, that's probably, you didn't, that's not fair because you probably think I'm perfect too, don't you? Okay. Wow. Um, then you snarled at me. Uh, so that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. This, this, this word perfect from the Greek is artios. It's the only time in the entire Bible that this word is used. The only time, artios, and it's translated perfect in the English language. And what it means is to be entirely suited, complete in accomplishment and ready. So we usually say the word perfect means complete. When we see scripture and it says perfect, it means complete. And in this case, the word perfect goes a step further and it's a, a, a complete in accomplishment. Ready. That the man of God may be ready. Complete in accomplishment can be entirely suited, um, furnished. This is truly furnished. We're going to look at truly in a second, but to be perfect and to be furnished, that's to be equipped. You want, you, so you, you want to be, you, you study your Bible, what are you going to get? You study your Bible, you're going to get, you're going to get complete and accomplishment and ready and fully equipped. Unto what? All good works. You want to, so I want my life to count for Jesus. There's a song that says, I want my life to count for Jesus. Or I want my life to matter. I want eternal value on my life. I want to do something with my life that lasts. I want, I want something to happen because I did it. God uses me to do something and it's, it's, it's worth something. It's eternal, has eternal value. Do you know how you do that? That's what, that's what we call good works. You know how you do that? You study the Bible so you can get doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Because by doing that, you are perfect and truly furnished into every good work. You want to do something with your life that matters? Study your Bible. Just study your Bible and live by it. Um, the word truly. It looks like a typo, doesn't it? If you were to do a word search in your Bible, you would find the word truly, I believe it was 11 times. It's not a typo. It sounds like a typo. They messed up and missed an O. Doggone it. They meant thoroughly, but it says truly. And if you Google it, which I will caution against later, um, you'll find it'll just correct it to thoroughly. In fact, when I was typing in the program that I use this message, every time I typed truly, it corrected it to thoroughly. And I'd have to go back and fix it. It's truly, not thoroughly. What's the difference in the two? They sound close enough. And you know, in reality, they are pretty close in definition together. Um, they are close, but they're not exactly the same. They don't mean exactly the same thing. Um, thoroughly means detailed in action. You'll do something in a thorough manner. You do it in a detailed manner in action. Thoroughly carries with it in the context that there is a depth to the action. There is an intentionality behind it, and it goes deeper than just the surface. Truly is not just simply a detailed action. If you think about this, you're, you're going to take your car on a long trip. And, um, and, and what you do is you, you polish the outside. You go clean it. Take it through the car wash. Take it through twice. They'll always let you go through a second time. No problem. So take it through twice. Um, that'll help them raise the rates for the people who only pay for once. Uh, uh, go through the car wash polish that sucker up, get some of that wax and really polish it for real. Polish the wheels, 
I've never owned a car that the wheels needed to be polished. They're always plastic. Um, the kind that they won't steal. If you pull through a neighborhood, they won't steal them. They're, they're like, actually, your hubcap fell off. Can we put it back on for you? Uh, get that shine stuff for your tires and get them real nice and shiny black. Like you can do that to your whole car. Um, and you're going to go. Your car looks good. It's thoroughly cleaned, right? It's thoroughly ready. Well, in your engine, you have two-year-old oil that is basically sludge. The engine just makes a lot of really bad noise. The interior of the car reeks like you've got five kids and you've been to Chick-fil-A a few times and there's some nuggets hiding somewhere in the car that are rotting. Somewhere there is rotting. And Chick-fil-A sauce, if you ever want to not want it, just let it rot in your car. You'll be off Chick-fil-A for a while. Um, and that, that old milkshake that's, that's growing stuff out of it. You're not going to want to sit in that car for very long for a road trip. The sludge in the engine is probably not going to take it very far. And you did polish those tires, but there's no air in them. That's what a thorough job of getting the car ready will do. A throughly, being throughly furnished starts on that inside. And, and honestly, when we talk about people, we talk about people uh, uh, getting their lives right with God. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this, doesn't it? Right? It looks polished. But the inside is sludge. The inside is rotting Chick-fil-A sauce. It, it really does have to begin on the inside. And the Word of God, as you let it teach you doctrine, there'll be a whole lot of stuff on the inside that gets affected. You let it reprove you, it's going to reprove you internally. It may affect some external, out, whoa, external things, but it's going to start in here. If your heart's not ready to hear about external change that needs to take place, you're not going to do it. So allow it to throughly furnish you unto every good work. Um, it goes on the inside and it moves out. So the question as to why and what are covered, but I want to briefly cover the how. And, and, and I've, we, we have the list of questions here in front of you. I just want to go over these questions really quickly because this, <clears throat> this list, it's not exhaustive. It's not even original to me. You may have seen it before, uh, but, but this, this list will help you. If you want to read your Bible and study it, this list will help you. Um, now, one thing to tell you, because before you turn me off, because I would be like, I'm done listening. I'm not adding an hour to my Bible study time. Like, I already read the Bible. It takes me this long to read a chapter of the Bible. I'm not adding an hour to that so I can go through these questions every single time. I promise you, it will not take you very long to go through these questions. They're not, they're not very difficult. Initially, it may take you a little time, but as you grow in your walk, you won't need to take long to answer some of the questions. Some of the questions you'll know before you even start. Um, uh, some of them can be answered very quickly. Uh, four cautions before we move forward. Number one, use extreme caution when doing research and using study helps. Use extreme caution when doing research and, and, and using study helps. You can get into very dangerous doctrinal territory by asking Google. You really can, so be careful. Google is not your Bible study friend. Um, it's just not. Second, that kind of companion alongside that, use your pastor and pastoral staff if you need help. One of the ministries that our church provides is helping people. You want to study your Bible and you got a question about a doctrine that you've come across or you've got a question about a passage and you're trying to study it and you want to know it deeper, that's a good phone call to get. 
I don't like the phone calls where like, we need to have lunch and uh, I got some things to talk to you about. I don't like those calls. I love, you know, I've been studying this passage. It's, it's, it's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I'm running into some questions here. I don't quite understand something. Can you help me with that? Yeah, and I'll buy you the coffee and I'll buy you something else and give you a present. Like, yeah, I love those phone calls. Pastor loves those phone calls. So utilize your pastoral staff to help you. Second Timothy, you're in Second Timothy. Look at verse 14 above this. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that any of us are like the perfect role model and going to fix everything in your life. But Paul says, hey, continue in the things you've, you've learned and you've been assured of, knowing who you've learned. You know who you learned that some of these doctrines from? Me. That's what Paul's saying. I, you learned this from me. Continue in this doctrine. You've been assured of this doctrine. You've watched this doctrine live out in my life. I'm writing from a prison about to die for my faith. I mean, know of who you're, you've been assured of. So use your pastoral staff. We're here to help uh, when necessary. When you run into difficult questions, the third thing is the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. Let the Bible explain itself. Let it explain itself, which goes in with number four, and that is a Bible study software can be very helpful for finding cross-references and definitions. Uh, the, the software that I endorse, I'm joking, the software that, we, that I like to use is called eSword. It's E and then a hyphen and then the word sword, S-W-R-D. It's a free download on PCs. It's like eight bucks on Macs. Um, it's a great reference software because you can turn on the Greek uh, hyperlinks, click on the Greek hyperlink and it'll give you a very long list of uh, explanations. It's very helpful for Bible study. Um, but what it's really good for is cross-referencing. Well, well, how do you let the Bible commentate on itself? Use cross-references. Your Bible may have in the center column cross-references that'll tell you where else in the Bible it talks about this subject. Uh, Teresa's got a fantastic Bible, a great study Bible to help you as you study scripture. Let the Bible commentate on itself, it will. Uh, it, it likes to talk about itself. It's pretty cool because it likes to explain itself too. All right, on to the questions. Real quick, it's 10 of them, right? Isn't it 10 questions? Something like that. It's not numbered on your list. Number one, who's the author of the passage or who's speaking the passage? Who in here? No, I'm not going to ask you. Um, you may not have known who wrote this book. You may not have known who wrote 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy. It is written in there. Uh, he, he does address himself. Sometimes that'll help. If you want to know who wrote the book, look at the beginning. And a lot of times they'll address like, this is who's writing. Um, uh, but Paul, Paul's the guy who wrote second Timothy and he's writing for prison in Rome. How do we know that history? Just research. There's, there's lots of research. Some of these questions can be answered just like that over a phone. Um, uh, number two, so, so if you're reading this and you already know this, you don't really have to think about this question. Well, Paul's writing, and I, I think 2 Timothy is the last book he wrote, so he must be close to death. And so that puts you in a mindset of how is, what is Paul writing? Where is he writing from? Second is who is he addressing? Uh, in this particular passage, in the New Testament, a lot of the passages or, or books are written to people, individuals, or churches, individual churches. Um, they're general, all of them. They will apply to our lives because the Bible, all of it is given to us, right? For doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, righteousness. Um, so it's not as difficult in the New Testament to find who is it written to. It's Timothy. It's named after the guy, after all. Um, sometimes in the Old Testament, you got to figure out who, who is being addressed in this uh, prophet's book. Is he talking to Israel here? 
and you, you want to talk about people getting some doctrinal things off, you start looking in Romans or in Daniel and the toenail of the beast and you start seeing some doctrinal things that get mixed up. It's just, I, they're not letting the Bible commentate on itself and they're getting to some danger. I think a lot of those are just Googlers, all right? So just be careful with the Googles. Um, this is written from, uh, to Timothy. Uh, it can be applied to any believer and it can also be applied specifically to pastors. Pastors can read from this because it's, it's, it's written to a pastor and in encouraging him in, in difficult times to continue. What's the most important term and or concept in the passage? The Bible is not going to have an arrow on it and say this is the most important term. It's just not going to have an arrow there. As you read the passage, what stands out the most to you? That's, that's a question. What stands out the most to you as you read this passage? What's the thing that jumps out to you? Um, in, in our passage, uh, I put down either the importance of Scripture, having been given by inspiration of God, the importance of Scripture, or you can also point out the fact that it, it's, it's just the Scripture's profitable for us as believer, and it perfects us and it furnishes us in every good work. Those are a couple of things you just jot down if you want to write it as, as you're doing this study yourself uh, on a different passage. Look through the passage and just what stands out. Number four, what are the main verbs? I don't like English. Neither do I. I asked Georgia to help me with this one tonight because it really went over my head. I was like, there's a lot of is's in there and I don't think they're all verbs. I don't know. Uh, there, here's the verbs. And if she's wrong, she's a homeschool mom. So give her grace. But she said uh, is given and may be is given and may be. Both of those are present tense verbs. Well, that's kind of cool. Scripture hasn't been given by inspiration of God. It is given by inspiration of God. It, it, doesn't, it didn't used to furnish us and it isn't will furnish us in the future. It furnishes us now. It's a present tense thing. So that's kind of cool to see some present tense action going in here. Um, action coming from linking verbs. Number five, are there terms you need to define so you can better understand the passage? Here's where it either, I have the time to do this or I don't have the time necessarily to devote to this. So I've got to write a couple of terms down to look up later or to ask for help later. For us tonight, we did inspiration, profitable, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness, perfect, truly, and furnished. Tonight, that's what we did. Now, Bible study software can come in handy in helping you to do a more of a deep dive in here, but not every passage of scripture has to be delved into nearly as deeply as this on one reading. Why did I study this so deeply? Because I was about to present it in a message before a church family. Uh, if, unless you're studying for a sermon, you may not need to go nearly as deep, but it is helpful to pull out at least one or two terms to help you. Uh, number six, are there people or places you need to identify? Not in this passage necessarily, but there is one person mentioned, and that's the man of God. That's, that's me, you. We're mentioned in it. That's nice. Number six, what do you already know about the people and places mentioned? Uh, we know that it's speaking to believers. It's not speaking to the lost world, speaking to Christians. Can you identify any cause-effect relationships in the author's writing? Absolutely. If you will heed what the Bible says after you study it, you will be thoroughly furnished unto every good work right? That's a cause and effect. We can find cause and effect in all of the passages of scripture. Number nine, in what ways does the passage apply to your own personal life? And if there isn't an obvious application, is there a more subtle one? This is more of a personal takeaway from the passage that you've read. Whatever passage of scripture you've read, this is where you apply. Is there a takeaway? This is where you apply. Um, 
And, uh, and I have one takeaway. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible is important. It's important enough that we should study it for what to believe, to know where we're wrong, how we can get right, how to live. And this prepares us to completely, to, uh, com- prepares us completely for our work for the Lord. And what are some things from the passage you might want to study further in later in further detail? That's where you write a couple of things down. I want, I want to know more about this furnished unto every good work. Uh, and you would write those down. Um, so as you read through the Bible, have these questions handy. Again, you're, you don't have to. It's not a notebook situation. You could do a notebook where you're writing things down. But this is like as you read through the questions, it helps you and you will eventually get to a place. You don't need the questions. You can just think, all right, who's writing it? Who are they writing to? What's the setting? What what is the important part in this passage? What's the thing that I can take away from this? And let me make this statement. Reading the Bible without implying it is one of the most useless practices you can do. Reading the Bible and not applying it. I mean, is it good to read the Bible? Absolutely. But if you're not applying it, what good is it doing for you? Nothing. You must apply scripture that you read. Make the application to yourself. So at the very least, ask question nine of yourself. What is my takeaway from this passage? What can I learn or do as a result of having read this passage? Because we must apply it if it's going to do something for us. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day you've given to us and for your word. Uh, Bless our church family. Thank you for the kids having a good time tonight, fun night. Uh, Pray that the efforts of this church to glorify and honor you in Christ's name. Amen.